Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Ronnie Matthews with Remax in Spring, Texas. Last year, he, his wife Kathy, and team closed 1,384 transactions with a total sales volume of $408 million. His average sales price was $294,000, of which 40% were buyers and 60% were sellers. Ronnie has a 22-member team, one listing specialist, five buyer specialists, one pre-listing coordinator backup listing specialist, two listing coordinators, one listing contract administrator, one listing department manager, two buyer coordinators, two pending coordinators, one pending department manager, one relocation director, one elite properties director, two builder relations, one graphic designer, one bookkeeper, one broker, and two co-founders. Ronnie and his wife Kathy are the co-founders of the Ronnie and Kathy Matthews team. He's been an agent for 30 years and works the Metro Houston market. In this call, Ronnie talks about how a high school dropout sold 50 homes his first year in real estate, being a couple team with his wife Kathy and distribution of duties, working 80 to 100 hour weeks to build the business, creating the most productive sales team in our records by averaging 197 closings per filled salesperson last year. How he finds the right team members never interviews longer than 15 minutes and why he pays his entire team a salary. Setting up a seventh level team that operates independent of the team leader. The repeat and referral marketing plan that accounts for 70% of his business, 968 closings last year, and why he thinks the team is underperforming in this area. How he sold the team practice to team members, including the valuation used, payment term structured, and transition strategy, team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Ronnie. Hello, Mike. How are you? Hey, Ronnie. I'm great. Thank you so much for joining me today. Ronnie, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Well, Mike, as far as I actually was in the construction industry, I had a, a plumbing utility business. And I actually had a pretty good-sized company, one of the larger independents in uh, the Houston area. In 1985, I had 65 guys working for me. And we did big construction, big commercial construction work. Uh, Many people have heard about Houston in the 80s. Well, the 80s in Houston was much worse than 2008, 9, and 10 was for the economy in general for the U.S., which is the most current recession in Houston in the 80s. Probably 50% of all the homes in Houston got foreclosed on over a period of six or seven years. took at least 10 years to kind of work the city back out of it. 1987, I got beat out of 
several million dollars by builders that went out of business and didn't pay for the work that was done. And one day, Kathy and I woke up and I said, you know what? We're broke. We got to start something different. And neither one of us had degrees. I dropped out of high school. She had two years of college. We looked at each other and said, what are we going to do? And we said, well, let's try real estate. You know, like many people, we'd seen the the advertising come across and how people were selling 50 and 60 homes. And like anyone, we we could multiply by three. So we thought, man, this will be fun. Obviously, once you get in it, you learn it's a little different. Uh, so January 1st, 1988 is when we started in real estate, and we wanted to go to REMAX, but at that time, they required $500 deposit per person, and we didn't have the $500. So we started at Century 21. We worked there for almost eight months, and by then, the business had grown, and we'd raised a little cash, and we could afford to move, and we moved to REMAX in September 1988 and have been with the REMAX system ever since. Do you recall that very first year? Did you have a fast start, a slow start? How did it go that first year, and what were you doing to make things happen? Well, I do remember it. You know, our first year, we sold about 50 homes. And, you know, it was kind of unique. Back in those days, teams weren't something that existed, really. And Kathy and I, because she had worked in the business, too, we started together. So it was always Ronnie and Kathy Matthews. And so we were a team before teams kind of existed. And it worked really well. We quickly found out she was much better at working with buyers, and I was much better with numbers and listing appointments and closings and contract negotiations. So it quickly kind of worked out. And uh, like I say, we closed about 50 homes our first year. Now, our average price, Houston was in the depth of the the worst of the 80s, and our average price was about 80000 And how were you getting that business that 50 transactions that first year? You know, we uh, we lived in a little neighborhood that had about 400 homes, and we knocked on doors. We had little events at our house. We went to anything and everything that happened in the subdivision. And then, you know, quickly, and people didn't realize we just started in the business, and uh, we had the commonality that we lived in the same community they did, had the same concern about property values, and there were still lots of floor closures floating around. And so dealing with that and all of those things gave us an immediate connection to our community. And then as time went by, then we branched into joining neighborhoods and continued to grow from there. Well, let's fast forward into today. So how long have you been in the business now? I guess we're working on 29, 30 years, 30 years. (laughs) That's fantastic. And last year, how many homes did you and your team sell, and what was the sales volume? Last year, we did almost 1,400. I think the number was 1,384, and for a little over 400 million. Wow. Wow, that is incredible. And and you've had a, a long and very productive career. Do you know approximately how many homes you sold in your career and what the sales volume's been? Yeah, we actually, earlier this year, we were kind of just playing with numbers because we didn't have the exact, but we're well over 15,000 homes that we've closed and uh, over $4 billion in, uh, in value of those. Wow. So you're not only a billion-dollar agent, you're a quad. You're a quad billion. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's uh, <laughs> what happens with time and high production. It, it adds up to something, doesn't it? And, you know, we're in the Houston market, so even today, our average price is in the 290 range. Wow. That is impressive. Thank you so much. Now, I 
want to talk about last year's productivity. It seems really high to me. You sold almost 1,400 homes. How many people were on the team, the total number of people, both sales and staff? We have a total of 22 people on our team. And that includes everybody from the bookkeeper to the graphics person to the uh, to the buyer's agents. Uh, in the field, we have five buyer's agents and we have two listing agents. We actually have one full-time listing agent and one listing agent that does other things also. And that's the total of our field staff is five and a half people. Those are some incredible numbers. I want to open that up for some people. If I'm doing my math right, that's about 63 closings per team member, total team members, incredibly productive. And then for the people out in the field, the licensed folks out there making the sales, if I'm doing that math correctly, it's about 197 closings per agent. That's extremely productive. How are you doing that? I think the big thing is there's several things that kind of contribute to that. Our system is unique from most, and now I start to hear similarities across the country, but we never had independent contractors. We always had employees. So the first assistant we hired was an employee, and our buyer's agents, our listing agents, the entire team is employees. And, And of course, we actually have a different twist that I'm sure you'll want to get into later but we actually sold the company to our employees January of 2016. So, you know, now 15 of them are actually owners of the company, and there's still no independent contractors. It's all a team, all the businesses, team-oriented, everybody works together. And so, you know, our people in the field can be very productive because they do what they do best all the time. You know, our listing guy, he goes on three or four listing appointments every day six days a week. And if there's more appointments than that, then it falls over to our other person. And she usually probably goes on six or 12 a week herself. And then our buyer's agents, they're working with buyers. And then they also, once they get contract signed done, it goes into our pending department. We've got a great gal in there that pins for them and handles most of the process right through to the closing. And that way, the buyer's agent can be on to their next buyer that they're working with. That just seems so amazing that they're so productive. Let's start on the listing side and how you're getting that kind of productivity. Obviously, there must be great lead flow. And we'll come back to that in a second. But the lead flow is coming in. These people, the listing agent going on three to four appointments a day. How many of those is he signing up? The two numbers, you know, you go on appointments and they don't list at all. And then as far as you go on appointments, and they list. And as far as if someone lists, then we're probably in the 80% wide, somewhere in the 80-85% of every listing that he goes on that actually goes on the market, then he gets that listing. You know, there's probably as far as on the total appointment that you go on, probably in the 65 or so percent of all the appointments end up listing. Some of them just never go, you know, 10 or 15% want to know, think their house is worth more, thinking about doing it. We'll do it in a year or two, you know, those types of things. That's really, really incredible. And I assume some of this must be that you're finding the right people. These are very productive people. Is there a secret that you've learned to find the right people to get them into your business? You know, the funny thing is a typical interview with me over the years probably took 15 minutes. 
I never did any of the tests that everybody's doing now. I just sit down and talked with people for 10 or 15 minutes. If I felt like they truly cared and didn't think they were smarter than everyone else, you know, you can teach someone almost anything. But if they don't have the right attitude, it doesn't matter how smart they are, they aren't going to learn to do it our way. And most of our people, the buyer's agents, typically I found that I like to find people with roughly a year's worth of experience. That's long enough that they knew some of it. It's short enough they hadn't come so set in their ways, long enough that they realize it's hard. And so if they suddenly are walking into our system and there's lots of leads and lots of business happening, they realize it's not them. It's the system that's bringing the deal to the table. And then their job is to go out, find them the right property, and sell it to them. You also mentioned that you've put these folks on as W-2 employees, not as independent contractors. And do you think that that has something to do with the productivity level? I think so. You know, and it's funny because nowadays I talk to lots of people about it and they ask questions. And I truthfully have counseled most of them to set their buyer's agent up as commissioned, independent contractor type people, and probably the rest of their staff to be employees. One, because the way it's structured, if they're working in the office or, you know, they're employees, IRS standards regardless, even though many people in our industry still like to pay that as independent contractors. About 10 years ago, probably, maybe a little longer, actually probably 15 years ago, time flies. 15 years ago, roughly, we started providing medical insurance for all of our employees. We have a 401k program that we match. Uh, We have a safe harbor match program. We created a real business where our people had real jobs that they could rely on, and they had the benefit that, you know, so many in our business, uh, a lot of single women, and, you know, they're not all single now, but many of them were when they started, and those benefits and things that they had was very important to them. You have your productivity people, your, your people that are out in the field, the agents that are meeting buyers and sellers, they are also W-2 employees. So does that mean that they're on a salary and then a bonus? Or are they receiving a commission, but they are employees? How did you structure that? Yeah, everybody here has a salary. Everyone in the company gets a salary. Most of them get incentivized in some way. Buyers agents get a percentage, so they get a salary their full benefits, and they get a percentage of the commission that uh, is earned once it's earned. Could you give us an example of some numbers? Because people don't normally set it up this way, and I think it'd be helpful for people to at least get kind of a picture of what kind of base do you typically put out for a buyer agent, what kind of percentage is the bonus? Sure. Yeah, as far as typically in our system, a salary for a buyer's agent would be anywhere from 24000 to 36000 a year. And then commission structure, they would get anywhere from 20 to 30% of the commission that's received. Wow, that's actually really good. That's actually more than I thought it would be. I assume that they're making some really good income, uh, especially since they're so productive. Are, are they typically getting close to six figures? Uh, yeah, most of them are over, make over 100000 a year. past two years have been a little bit off from buyer perspective, a lot less relocation, moving into Houston with the oil industry off a bit. 
But as far as out of our five, I would say that every year, basically four exceed 100000 a year. And, you know, and keep it in mind, it's one thing to make 100000 as a employee where matching, fighting, withholding her help, but the employer pays the matching and all of those things, as opposed to an agent that's out there making 100000 gross commission. There's a big difference in living style when you're making 100000 as an employee on our team compared to that agent out there making the 100000 gross commission. No doubt. And they have that comfort of that base salary if they have an off month or, or just the mental comfort of knowing that it's there probably allows them to take a little more risk and go work a little harder. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of when I set it up. The first buyer's agent we had, she needed the comfort of knowing that at least there was a check coming twice a month that that way her house payment was paid and her car payment was paid. And then, you know, she knew from there, okay, I have to get out here and earn the rest. But that way I know I've got my basic bills paid. Do they have to sell a certain number per month before they get a percentage of the commission? No. No. You know, and it's one of those things that I don't say, okay, you're going to have to sell five homes a month, every month, every month, every month. They just do it. You know, it's one of those things. They're driven to make more. The good quality leads are coming into them. And so, you know, and they like what they're doing. So, no, we, uh, you know, we watch everybody. And over the years, certainly I've had to terminate some for non-production. But basically, the five that we have now, I think the youngest one's about three years. And then got one that's about six years. And then the, the other three are over 10 years with us. And two of those, I think, are over 15. (laughs) I was just going to ask you about turnover. Those are great numbers. Could you give us a picture of what you do on the listing side? Is the listing agent also receiving a salary and then a percentage? Yeah, he gets a salary. Also in that same general range, I don't remember off the top of my head, but he gets a, a salary of, call it 36 in that range. And then he gets $250 per listing he gets or, you know, $300. I can't remember again. It's, it's one of those, but it's in that, call it 300 per listing that he gets. But he goes on appointment, gets listings, turns them over, and then he never sees them again. So his deal is that going on three or four and in his entire job is going on listing appointments, getting listings, getting paperwork done. Some people aren't ready to sign right then, so we do have someone that'll back him up. Uh, we've got our photographer, puts up signs, runs errands, etc. guy that has been with us now five years also, and he will sometimes go back for our listing person if it's something that he can't get back to himself. But either way, then when they list, then the approximate number is $300 per listing that he signs up. I was wondering if it was going to be a, a smaller percentage or, in this case, a flat dollar amount because there's so much volume. I assume that really adds up, though, and that your listing agent is probably around that six-figure mark as well. Yes. Yeah, he typically goes over that number also. That is great. Thank you so much. And this productivity of this team, I assume that a lot of it has to happen because of culture. Are you creating a culture of productivity? And if so, how did you do that? I think, you know, it's one, it's hiring the right people, and two, it was setting the right example. 
and training people along the way. I mean, along the way, they saw Kathy and I putting in our 80, 90, 100 hours a week and always being there to back them up, to help them, support them. And also, we shared everything with them. It wasn't like, you know, in the early days when we hired the first buyer's agent, it wasn't like, okay, Kathy took all the good stuff and gave all the crap to the buyer's agent. And I see a lot of agents that hire team members, hire a buyer's agent, and want them to create everything, want them to take all the crap, and they keep the good buyers for themselves, give the other ones, and then they wonder why people don't stay. Well, it's because you're not treating the employee fair. You know, the employees trying to make their living. They're trying to take care of their family. And, you know, most of them are happy. If you, if I make money off of them, they're happy about that as long as they feel like they're being treated fairly and, and paid fairly. Ronnie, let's switch gears just slightly. You brought up another topic, and I, I want to dive into it for a second. You said that last year in 2016, you sold the team to the team members. And the question I have, the first question is, why? Why did you sell the team? Well, you know, several things. One, about 15 years ago, uh, I started a company. We do subdivision development. I have a partner in that business. We developed 22 subdivisions in the Houston area where we in develop, meaning we buy raw land. We put the utilities in, the streets in, the detention ponds in, and then we sell lots to builders. And that's been very successful for us. And then uh, 11 years ago now, I started a title company. Uh, Great American Title Company in Houston, and we're now the uh, seventh largest title company in the Houston area. I have 16 offices for that company and 140 employees. So, you know, one, I'm the kind that always has to be doing something different. The real estate itself, truthfully, I reached a point to where, okay, I didn't want to open a bunch of more offices. I wasn't in the standard brokerage type business. So that's why I branched into other things that were real estate that I enjoy that have been very financially rewarding for me. And so my original employees that helped me get there, I had talked to them many years ago about one day that I to them and and then the time became last year. (laughs) That is great. Well, we have talked to a few folks out there who have either sold their, uh, their team their operation, or they wanted to. And so a few questions for you. The first question is, how did you come up with a valuation for the team? Yeah, you know, of course, a lot of what I did was, you know, I made it up because one, to my knowledge, not anything like us that's ever sold, really. And and I wanted them to have it. So one, I wanted to structure it in a manner that was for sure a win for them. And you know, as far as what I sold it to them for, I sold it to them for three times earnings. So three times prior year's earnings. So it wasn't the high, it wasn't the low, but it was kind of, that's what that previous year was. And then I uh, I sold it to them on terms that were very easy. They uh, put no money down. I left them with 500000 cash so they would not be undercapitalized. With 22 people, you've got a big overhead. And they pay me. Uh, 40% of the profit until I'm paid off, which will be somewhere between probably 10 and 15 years. So it's basically a 10 to 15 year payout. So you get a nice cash flow. You get an installment sale, which is easier on your taxes. And it helped the buyer, it helped your team purchase with that no money down. They even gave them 
the cash to operate, and it sounds like it's working. It is working. You know, I, I always tell them, you know, it, naturally it's going to be different. You had a benevolent dictator that uh, <laughs> took care of everything, and now you are having to figure it out yourself. And with 13 owners, obviously there's a natural built-in, you know, okay, this way, this way, this way. And we just had a meeting yesterday, as a matter of fact, and I restructured some things. I sold it to them. They hired me back as a consultant for three years to make sure the transition went fine, that, you know, they survived it. And any mistakes that I made in the setup could be changed. So by hiring me as a consultant, they gave me the ultimate power that if I wanted to change anything inside the organization, I could do that. So in a sense, I had veto power over everything for those three years. And that way, if we made a mistake, which there's some have been made, we had time to correct it, tweak it, and move on and uh, make it better. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R E A L G dot TV. Now, back to the show. And what kind of Things have you learned in this process that you would advise someone who's considering doing this to look out for or think about? The best thing about my team was we had a great team. They worked great together. They did their job. They helped each other. They did all of those things. But each person had their pieces of the team they did. We didn't have, you know, I was the leader. I was the one that that guided the ship. I was the one that made any major breakthroughs in what we were going to do or different or saw what was going on. And so really the one weakness that we had is we didn't have that automatic leader to step up and now replace me. And I say replace me, Kathy was very integral in many parts of it too. And so in a sense, they lost their two main leaders at once. And Kathy is retired and we set up a dog rescue and she's saving dogs. So this year, there are a little over 1,200 dogs, homeless dogs that they have found, gotten healthy and found new homes for. But that's her passion, but she's completely out of the real estate business. And that's, a, I guess, a question on this sale. You had the, was it 13 or 15? You had several owners. Were they all equal owners or did one person have more ownership than the other? Who became the leader? Well, I picked two people to be managers. and. There were 13 owners initially. We kind of set the program up. Once people were here five years, they would be eligible to become owners, subject to the owners approving them. So this year, they did take on two more owners. So there's actually 15 out of the 22 that are owners in the company. And, you know, we set up a board, which I realize now was probably a mistake. You know, having not done this myself, I created many mistakes that have created some issues in the transition. Not because everybody wasn't trying to do the right thing. It's just that you can't have six people or 13 people trying to run a company. And so I had to dial some of that back. And now I think we are on the right track. We never went really off the track, but it wasn't the smooth running machine that it's been for all these many years. Do you still have two managers? Did you keep the two heads of the company? I do have two managers. 
and have kind of shifted duties around. But two managers, we created an advisory board of four people, totally different board, and we structured them and gave them more specific duties. You know, it was almost like I set it up initially and didn't give them enough guidance. So the board thought they were running it. The manager thought they were running it. So there were some natural conflicts there and confusion with the rest of the people. All right, well, what are we supposed to do? Who's in charge? And if one group disagreed with the other group, how do we resolve it? And of course, they would come to me and I would resolve it, but that didn't always leave everybody particularly happy. You know, I tell them, I said, you know, y'all don't remember in the past, you would come to me and I would say no to 90% of your ideas. But I said it in a manner, in a way, and you just took it because it was me. And you went on and you forgot it. And then suddenly, now somebody says no, and it's like, well, why, you know, et cetera. So it's an interesting trying scenario. And overall, it's been a good experience. And overall, it'll be a really good thing for them long term. And any transition period, there's going to be some bumps. And we've had a few bumps. Well, thank you so much for talking about that and opening our eyes to some of the possibilities. I'd like to switch gears again. And at this point, I'd like to talk about marketing and sales. You're generating a lot of leads into the business. I'd first like to talk about the biggest area of lead generation for you. And that appears to be repeating referrals from past clients and sphere of influence. I think it's 70% of your business in that one year, it would have been about 968 closings. How big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? Truthfully, we're disappointed by the number of referrals and repeat business we get because with a database of nearly 30,000 people, we ought to be getting 3,000 a year through here. And so that's been many of our meetings and discussions is how can we reconnect better with our previous clients? How can we get them to thinking of us more often, more, et cetera? We struggle when we try to create business from social media. We haven't been able to really hit a spot there where we feel like we're really generating something that's valuable. We, Zillow, you know, we played with Zillow many years back and hated it. We came back to Zillow a few years ago. We had a couple of good years where it was cost benefit, it was worth it. And this year we canned them because we're spending as much on, you know, what we were paying to them. And after expenses, what we were left over with, it was a wash. So why do that, you know? And, you know, you always have to be evaluating and looking, et cetera. But obviously, our goal mine is our referrals from previous clients, our previous clients coming back to us, our previous clients' families, those areas. And, you know, with 22 people, our sphere of influence is pretty good, too, in that we know lots of people. So there's where we, you know, it's kind of like the old-fashioned way, as opposed to all the new media. Uh, We don't feel like we've really hit our stride in the new media world. Well, it's working well. So let's talk about that. So you got 30,000 people in the database. You have about 15,000 past clients. Does that mean you have about 15,000 sphere of influence or are there other people in the 30,000? There are other people. You know, most of the time there's a buyer and a seller on a transaction. We put both people into our database. As you all know, most realtors never, ever follow up with a client after closing. So we just kind of adopted those and have generated lots of business over the years from them. And then anybody that we run across, run into, do business with in some other manner, they go into our database. So if it's a catering firm we use, then they go in our database. 
they need to hear from us and know that we're in real estate. We're using them for catering. Will they need to use us for real estate needs? Gym, you know, you work out at a gym. Who do you meet at the gym? Your sphere of influence. We have a lot of sphere of influence that's included in that 30,000. Where do you keep all these people? What kind of uh, database are you using? Are you using a certain type of software? Yeah, you know, we actually forever used online agent, Agent 2000. It was called a couple of different things, but that's where we started originally back 28 years ago. And they finally, four or five years ago, quit kind of servicing and updating their system. So we actually moved over January of 2017 to top producer. So we haven't been able to get all of that transition over. So we're sort of working between the two systems at this moment and creating new databases that we're at the moment with the changeover. We're kind of in between two systems. Talk to us about how you're staying in touch with your database of past clients and sphere of influence. How are you staying in touch with them, say, over the course of a year? What does your annual marketing plan look like to stay in touch with these people? Well, until this year, literally, it was about, to the vast majority of them, it was five or six emails a year. It was holiday reminders. It was, we've never tracked birthdays. We just weren't that good at tracking things. So, you know, that's something new they're trying to start looking at doing. But we've never been the highest folks. As an example, I have a BlackBerry still, so that tells you something about me. And that's part of the reason why, again, we feel like we should be getting a lot more business from previous clients. We get a lot, but we should get more. And it's because we haven't done as good a job of looking at ways to be creative to touch those folks and to deliver something that they want from us. So they're working on, the group is working on new ways and new plans and and going back and trying to look at, okay, who's the the top 100 or two that have sent us business over and over and over over the years, and let's create a special plan for them. But at the moment, it's still, we probably mail out three or four postcards a year to uh, five or 6,000 previous clients, and we touch them by email, say, six times a year. So we're, we're about total contact with them is nine, ten times. We've tried calls, you know, nowadays, for years, we've tried to hire someone to make calls just regular. have never been successful at finding that right person to be the just full-time job, call our previous clients, you know, thanking them, how you doing, having a conversation, asking them for business. That's an area that we need to fill, and we just haven't been able to find that right person. In these emails that you're sending out, postcards that you're sending out, if you add that together, it's about 10 contacts a year. What is the message? What are you sending out in these mediums? Well, of course, the number one message is always the name. I mean, you know, the picture in the name is always big. So we've always been the believer of just if you subliminally hit them over and over and over when they get ready to hit. In, in the old days, it was postcards. You know, every month they got postcards and half the postcard would be Ronnie and Kathy's face and name, and the rest of it would be whatever it was, you know, and phone number. So it's holiday information, it's warning about a freeze, but I'd say three out of the six emails and, and one of the postcards, strictly holiday, Merry Christmas, for instance, Happy Thanksgiving, you know, celebrate July 4th, and sometimes we'll talk maybe a little blur, but what the holiday really means, 
but it's very simple. Nothing super mega complicated. It's just that when they open it up, first thing that jumps out of them is the name and the phone number so they know what we are and who we are and just keep reminding them of who the realtor is. In these pieces, do you have a call to action? Are you asking them to call, email, or go online to, say, get a free market analysis or a list of homes? Or are you just keeping it real simple and saying, hey, this is where we are. Here's our phone number. That's it. We keep it pretty simple. You know, and all of these may be reasons we don't get more, you know, as far as those are all things that the team is re-looking at and paying attention. I was never one that went to any of the coaching or the motivational or truthfully even the learning. I always just kind of created things and made my own judgment calls along the way and therefore probably have missed out on some really good things that now the group is trying to go back and maybe see if they can learn. You know, when Kathy and I started, there was none of that else out there. But of course, keep in mind, there was barely cell phones and faxes were thermal paper. And so we had a fax team before any of the offices had them, you know. And so it was kind of useless for some time, but I'd had one in the previous business. Cell phone, I got a cell phone in 1985. And and so in 88, when we started in real estate, they were just kind of really taking hold. You know, and I remember, of course, cell phone time. When I bought my cell phone, my cell phone originally in 1985 was $5,000. <laughs> and it was $2 a minute as far as cost. And, of course, now look at the cost, the way it's come down and the cost of the phone. Although the phones are working their way back up to 1000 now, aren't they? <laughs> yes, they are. I have a quick question for you. You mentioned you do a lot of these uh, postcards and the email. You have your face on there. Do you still have your face on there now that you've sold the team? When I sold it to them, I gave them the right to continue to use the Ronnie and Kathy Matthews name and picture. They are working on transitioning to the Matthews team. It's kind of what they're going by now. And they are starting to create their own pictures and things that way. So our stuff is on half or more probably, but they are working on a transition to rebrand in a sense and call it the Matthews team. Still kind of keeping the connection to the Ronnie and Kathy, but as far as rebrand it, that, you know, now it's different. Oh, that's good. Yeah, the people I've seen do this successfully in the past, they'll put both pictures on, your picture as well as the new folks' picture, and then your picture gets smaller and their picture gets bigger over time, and that's the transition. Yes. There you go. Exactly right. That's why so many real estate companies, you know, people just try to sell and then walk away. Well, then there's no reason that people are going to necessarily come to the new owners. It's hard selling a real estate team. Real estate brokerages that aren't profitable seem to sell with no problem. But as far as a good, profitable real estate team, it's hard to sell. And you have an incentive to stay involved because you're getting paid out over time. You said it could take 10 to 15 years to get your funds out. Yes. They know I'll always be there for them. Whether they paid me off tomorrow or not, I would always be there to help them. But as far as I tried to make it, one, they'd put no money up. Two, I wanted them to see some benefit out of the ownership in a financial way. And that's why we kind of settled on 40%. You know, and I'm still got him, and the bookkeeper that I've had for 10 years is still here, is one of the owners. And uh, so when we structured it, when they get a distribution quarterly, they write a check to the IRS 
for 30% of the profit for that time. And they give their check to the bookkeeper for the IRS. She gives them the distribution check. And then she pays me, you know, my portion. Uh, they all get, all the IRS checks get put together, you know, with their own sheets and things, but in one package. And then they get certified to the IRS. That way we don't have somebody get in trouble with the IRS for not paying taxes either. Good idea. To finish up on past clients and sphere of influence, is there anything else that you're doing to stay in front of them? Are you doing any kind of client parties? Are you asking for referrals directly, say making phone calls? Or has it basically been the postcards that you've mailed out over time and then you've added the emails? They started two years ago. Thanksgiving and Christmas would pass out pies, you know, call the ones that are close to our office. We have many, many clients that are scattered all over the city, and Houston's a big city. So they probably give out 200, 250 pumpkin, apple, pecan pies for Thanksgiving and Christmas. No client events, although they've talked about if they can kind of put this top 100 together, then they could have something like that. But, you know, how do you have a client appreciation when you've got 15000 <laughs> That'd be quite a party. <laughs> quite a party, yes. Uh, those are all things that they're looking to. I think, in a way, it's funny because with all the things that are going on now and all the Facebook and the Google and et cetera, we've been pretty much a basic, the old-fashioned way, most of our career and up into now we're at that point now where changes need to be made and they're looking at doing them but you know it, it's not a fast change process because you can spend a whole lot of, of money in the wrong place in a hurry so it's test and tweak and test and tweak and that's the process they're going through now to reach out relocation used to be a big part of our business and over the past with all prices drop and then relocation companies to Houston has dropped tremendously. So that sector of the business has dropped. So looking for ways to replace that is kind of the big drive. How do we do that? And relocation will come back. But if we can create the fifth line of business, well then, okay, and relocation comes back, then we'll be bigger and better than ever. Well, Ronnie, people have been listening to us for a while now. They understand the structure of your team and that you're paying everyone a salary. And I think that one of the questions they're going to have is, this team, is the team profitable? Yes. You know, historically, I ran it, call it 30% profit margins. As far as that has dropped some, paying me off is not, of course, that's not technically affecting profit. It just, it affects cash flow for them. Or is with a drop, some drop in Houston market with the transition, with some things going through. Yes, their profit margins drop. They're still, you know, nicely profitable. But, you know, when you look at real estate agents as a whole, I met a guy at a convention several years ago and uh, told him that I had 30% profit margins. And he said, you know, that's crazy. That's stupid. You, you should be over 50% at least. And I said, well, you know, I have a real business, first off, and you look at most companies, very few make more than 30% profit, and I'm not the guy that's working full-time digging the ditches either. I'm spending five to 10 hours a week on my real estate business, 
So I know you're coaching and you're trying to tell all these people around you how important you are, but truthfully, can't compare their business to my business because we have a totally different setup situation. We're not a real estate agent with support staff. We are a business. And I always felt like, and I always tried to be generous to my employees as with benefits and things that way. So I was very happy with 30%. Yeah, and with the seventh level team, that's what I would call that, where you're operating outside of the business, you're not in there day to day. 30% is an excellent return. Yeah, that's what I always thought too. So for five hours, 10 hours a week, I thought I made a pretty comfortable living. I just, I was never satisfied. That's why I had to start other businesses. And then my income from them has surpassed what my real estate income was. That is fantastic. Well, Ronnie, what drives you? You know, I'm just driven to do another deal, I guess, as far as we always like helping people, Kathy and I both. And, you know, I don't know. I just have a hunger of never quite being satisfied and always wanting to do more and always feeling like I could do more. And so, you know, this morning, I live on the far north side of of Houston. I had a 730 uh, meeting in Deer Park, which is approximately 60 miles away. Then I went from there 20 miles away to one of my offices visited. And then I'm back at my office on the north side. At 5, I speak to a group of realtors about wire fraud. And then at 7.30, I have a event downtown. And so I'll probably roll in the house about 11.30 tonight. And it's just kind of driven to do that, you know? You know, that's one of the things I don't think we hit on, but you basically work seven days a week. That's what you've been doing for the last 30 years. Is that correct? Well, you know, now I feel like I'm loafing. I'm down to about probably 55, 60 hours in a week. My weekend's pretty, pretty easy now. I still putter and do different things. That's when I check on things. I check on properties. I, I check on developments. But as far as, you know, during the week, you know, my normal days, call it 12 hours. But in the plumbing business days, I worked 80 to 100 in my first 15 years in the real estate business. I worked 80 to 100, and, you know, Kathy was along beside most of that time. You know, that was that was a bit much. It's not recommended for most, but uh, I enjoy what I do. And if I didn't enjoy what I do, I'd do something else, you know, or do nothing. It's not work if you enjoy it. Ronnie, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? I would tell them, one, learn. Learn from a good realtor. Too many of our realtors aren't very educated. Too many of our realtors don't represent their clients well because they don't know the business well, and especially new agents. you got to learn and so that you can properly represent your people. Be patient. You know, Don't expect to get rich overnight. Just keep working and doing the right thing, and it pays off. When I speak to groups, I say the first thing is get up and go to work every day. Too many realtors don't have a plan for what they're going to do that day. They wake up at 8 or 9 o'clock, and then they you know, start figuring out what to do. You've got to have your schedule planned. You've got to have something that you're doing all day, every day. I was never one that could work out of the house. I had to go to the office. Too many distractions at home. I needed to go somewhere and work. And I think realize you run a business. You know, a real estate agent is an independent business. They're one person. They're in business for themselves. Now, if they're on a team or they're an employee of a brokerage, that's different. But most real estate agents don't realize they work for themselves. They don't work for the name that's on the sign. They work for themselves. Build a business. So true. 
Well, Ronnie, do you think that top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? I think that, uh, and I know you've been kind enough to send me interviews for the past couple of years, and, and I listen to portions of a good part of them. I have several people here in the office that I tell to listen to every one of them. Because if you can get, you know, an hour, if you can get one or two good ideas, it's well worth it. Well, Ronnie, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? I say that, you know, one, the real estate business can be very kind and very generous to you if you take care of your clients and do what you're supposed to. And I wish everybody the best of luck. Well, Ronnie, the real estate business has been kind and generous to you. You and Kathy hit the ground running, selling 50 homes your first year. Then you put your head down and you worked 80 to 100 hour weeks. Through trial and error, you built up a super productive team that averaged 197 closings per field agent, the highest we've had on record. You passed the torch when you sold your team practice to the team members. Your passion and compassion for your team came through when you structured a fair price, no down, flexible payment terms, and left working capital in the team bank account. And you stayed on to consult and mentor during the transition. You are a true real estate hero. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 80 homes worth $21 million in his third year in the business. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.